0: Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in emerging areas of PR. We'll be taking those hot topics in public relations, dispelling any myths, breaking down the jargon, so you are completely clued up and ready to speak to your stakeholders by the time you reach the office. If you have any questions around the episode, please feel free to tweet me at Stella Bales. We've had a small break in podcast due to me being sick for a couple of weeks so i'm sorry about that guys but we are back and this is a belter of an episode i started this podcast back in the summer with the aim of breaking down jargon and exploring areas of pr using real language this episode with steve strickland who is the co-founder of new agency talker taylor troublemaker could not be any more straight talking Steve talks about his move from being head creative at global PR agency to setting up on his own. And it's the how and why of that journey that really makes this story so fascinating. Steve talks about his and co-founder Gary's experiences in PR over the years and the lack of diversity that they experienced. And it's those learnings and experiences that have helped build their agency and ultimately win the clients and the multiple awards that we've been seeing them winning. He covers how it's essential today to have a diverse team to truly communicate with the world. And he talks about the relationship with that team and how autonomy can bring creativity and also how they encourage the development of their team's own personal PR future. We also look at how the agency has been so successful, what they've achieved. And Steve also shares some surprising honesty in where it might go. Overall, if you're looking for an insight into modern PR, want some very real language and have a good laugh, this is the episode for you. Here's Steve. So Steve Strickland has joined me on today's episode and I'm really excited about it. Not only because he is actually an old friend of mine, but also because he is one of the founders of Talker Taylor Troublemaker, and I've just been seeing some amazing things coming from them at the moment. The endless amount of award wins I'm seeing on Twitter, and then it was actually yesterday when it really did just push me over to just say, Steve, we need to do this interview, when I saw the Mayor of London tweeting about their latest campaign. So... Steve, before we jump into what that was all about, welcome. Thank you. Can we talk about the tweet
1: from the Mayor of London yesterday, Can we talk please? about the tweet? Can we talk about the tweet? <laughs> Literally, I was, I was the oldest person crying on the East London line yesterday. <laughs> um, so it came through on Slack because I hadn't really seen it. It came through on Slack and I was a bit like, is that, did we? And I was like, well, it's going to be a tweet about the campaign. He's not going to mention the brand. And then he not only mentioned the brand, but he added the brand. So Sadiq Khan was talking about the campaign, which is pretty incredible, but it is a wicked, wicked campaign. And it's one of those creative ideas that almost never saw the light of day. So can I give you a bit of background on it? Please do. So uh, we went into Deliveroo, the brand. We had basically one meeting to see whether they were going to take us on or not so we went in with ideas that were about every single month and how we were going to hijack and all that sort of stuff and etc etc the usual thing you'd really expect but one of the comments in the room at the time was listen our brand is about making the riders heroes and it's all about the food it's all about the food don't do anything that doesn't really focus and highlight on the food so whilst I was in the room I hid that slide from the presentation because I was like that idea isn't what I've just heard in the room and then at the end because we were getting on so well I was like well there was another idea actually that we wanted to share with you but it just felt like it's off brand and the client there at the time she said just show it to us and then we showed it and she was like I love this this is great let's do this it's only because of that conversation did that idea ever happen which is amazing.
0: Just for the listeners who aren't aware of the campaign that's going on right now for Deliveroo, and it's all in the run up to Christmas, is that right?
1: That's right. It goes all the way through to the end of the year. So basically, we have partnered with Missing People UK, which is the UK's largest missing people charity, to put the faces of missing people on the side of Deliveroo riders. So if you're listening in New York, it's like Grubhub, where there are riders on our streets every single day. They are super illuminated because they wear these beautiful, like, teal coats and they've got these amazing teal backpacks. So the faces of missing people are now on those backpacks. They're in the major cities across the UK all up until Christmas. And since that campaign launched last month, uh, we've found three people as part of it. Oh,
0: really?
1: Yeah, it's unbelievable. So it's probably one of. Like you and I used to work on campaigns where we'd be ringing the same journalists and saying, listen, I've got this member from Atomic Kitten today. I've got that member from Atomic Kitten today. This is probably one of the only times in my life where we cannot field the number of media requests that are coming in because there's just so many like BBC, BBC, BBC. It's just, it's crazy, but it's, it's wicked. It's wicked, wicked, wicked. So I'm really, the guys have done, I'm talking weekends. Late nights, crazy working hours, but it all feels good.
0: But so rewarding, yeah. It feels good. I'm guessing this is the highlight since uh, Talkers Hair Troublemaker launched. Is it two years now?
1: Yeah, this is. We're into our third. As a highlight, as a campaign highlight, it's up there. But before I started the agency uh, with my business partner, Gary, I was always a, I was a, a creative. So I was a creative at an agency called Freud's. And before that, uh, and I was at MNC. And the most satisfying thing for me has always been those moments in brainstorms where people fall about laughing. That's <laughs> like, because that's, that's the type. That I, think, I think PR work, like it should do good. It should change the world. It should do all that sort of stuff. But it should feel really joyous. I got off a call about an hour ago with a client who is a restaurant client. And the idea that the team came up with was called Christmas Carols. And basically, if you book into the restaurant, you get to sit with a woman called Carol and she's dressed (laughs) up as Christmas. (laughs) And I tell you what, like I was falling about and I was like, we have to get Dina Carol to come in and sing Perfect Year. We have to get Carol Thatcher, like just walking around. Carol Vorderman doing like the sums. Like I just I loved it so much. And that for me is those moments where I'm like, yeah, this is this is better than any job in the world. That's that's when I feel like that.
0: The reason why I was so keen to interview Steve today for our listeners, as I mentioned, we are friends. We used to work together at h and on some really important campaigns, as Steve just mentioned, with <laughs> Atomic Kids. <Kitten.
1: laughs> change the world.
0: Uh, so that was right at the beginning of our careers. We've gone off and done, um, gone into different directions, but I've seen him sort of move through some really amazing creative positions. And then, I guess, just over two years ago when he launched his own agency with Gary, talk to you, the Troublemaker. And even though I knew that he should absolutely be doing that, I guess it's more of a surprise for people who would all, maybe always dream of doing uh, setting up their own thing. But especially coming from the creative side to then leading an agency, you have to then start to get involved in things like agency admin and people management and starting to really work both sides of the brain and not just the left side of the brain. So I guess that's really what I wanted to find out more about from you, Steve, like going from big owned agency setups where you're just in the sole creative role where you can come up with these amazing campaigns to then going into starting from scratch, hiring people, you know, all of that kind of stuff. How's that been?
1: So I would say it has been two and a half years of massive ups and massive downs. The entire reason that I wanted to do the business and Gary wanted to do the business is because we felt like the model was broken and that we could Bob the Builder get in there and fix it. That's how we felt. Like there was a situation where we were in an agency. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you think my voice is camp, Gary Wielden's voice is we are talking next level camp realness we were in a situation where we were told not to go into a pitch because it was with a Emirati client. And we were just a bit too gay for that pitch, according to the people around us. And it was kind of at that moment where we were like, yeah, this model isn't working for us. We need to do something much bigger. We need to stop having like meetings about diversity and just get out there and talk about fairness and representation and youth culture and all those things that we're passionate about. So we knew that we wanted to try a brand new model, which is why we started off by we never mark up on any third party costs. We are entirely transparent with all our billings if if clients want to see how we build, what we build, what we make. We're happy to let them see it. We don't run a timesheet model. We run on a kind of promise model, which is we want to deliver a shitload of coverage for you, so we're going to do it, or we want to deliver this, so we're going to do it. And if we don't do it, we want to be in a position to be able to say, okay, well, let's try it again if we can. You know, like we just felt like, the model needed a level of transparency that didn't exist and we wanted to be able to deliver that. But the kind of brass tacks of the thing is to set up an agency, you need money. And I, my husband and I, we lived in a flat and I'd lived in there for a really long time because I bought it really early when property was much cheaper for young people in London. And we wanted to move out and I had some equity and I wanted to do something with it that could potentially change my life. And so that's what we did. So, We then went out and got an investor, and basically slept around until we found someone that was willing to part with their cash. Because we knew what I didn't want to go from was being a creative, a global creative director, to all of a sudden feeling like I was doing every single role in a business. And as an owner, you do about twenty minutes ago. I was writing a press release. Like you just you get back to the basics of your job, but. I knew that from the start, we I needed people who were going to be able to say, listen, this is the last time that I did a massive selling. Because, you know, like, media lists and all that sort of stuff that you and I used to pull together by hand, they are all totally different. And I was a creative director. So I just I hadn't had that experience. And that's what I needed. So the simple fact was we needed money to start it. And then the second part was we needed to stand out because I didn't want to go from being, and Gary, Gary Wilden was exactly the same, you know, he's a really senior guy, both at Freud's and at MNC. We didn't want to suddenly be a startup that nobody, we wanted people to know that we'd come to play and we were coming after your, we were coming after your partners and we were coming after your husbands. Like we wanted people to be like, okay, these guys are serious. So that's why we picked the name that we picked because it was different from anyone else. That's why we launched with our own photography, because we knew that we wanted, when PR Week wrote about us, we wanted to be the picture they featured. When we go to awards, we pay for everyone's outfits, because we want to be, even if we're not nominated for everything, we still want to be that picture, because that's what PR is. And we wanted to make sure that we were PRing ourselves, and not be shy of the fact that, you know, I'd love to be one day like a apparel brand called Talker Tailor Troublemaker. That'd be cool. They just want to be more public facing than I think brands have been before. It's,
0: it's again, a surprise when you see agencies start. It's normally around the five-year mark that they start to win some more well-known brands and businesses that we would have heard of and bigger campaigns that we will hear of, and they start to then win awards. You've totally broken the mold there where you're two years in and I just see tweet after tweet of award wins um, from you guys, not just the lead picture in PR week, but actual awards and also awards for brands that are huge. Like you just talked about the Deliveroo one that's running right now. How have you won
1: those brands?
0: Have they been contacts or have they been that they've noticed your own PR?
1: Um, I think we're really good at PRing ourselves. I think we felt and we feel fresh and different. We just felt like we needed to stand out. So everything we did, even marketing, like marketing, we sent all the marketing directors bottles of tequila on the 3rd of January, saying, you know, fuck dry January, we're all about getting as wet as possible. And (laughs) it was a tequila bottle covered in like 70s porn styles. You know, you and I used to work on product send outs, and we would be told all the time, this product has to stand out from others. And then it always surprises me when you go to like these marketing conventions and these dinners how people don't want to stand out i've got bills to pay i'm going to force myself into those conversations and that's essentially what we did is we forced ourselves into the conversation and that was by being opinionated by turning up to pr week awards in full glitter jackets or with feathers all over our backs because we wanted to be noticed and you'd be surprised at how many big brand directors who would be at these awards who've been at them for years and years and years would come up to us and go, I just want to say you guys look fabulous. And then I was like, I just want to say, give me your business and I'll lend you my coat. It was just, I think we just came across, or were trying to come across as fresh and enjoying it and loving it and wanting to work with brands to do really wicked stuff. And also at the start, we were really fucking cheap. We undercut a lot of people. Not now, if any brand directors are listening. <laughs> I'd made friends within the industry. I didn't want anyone thinking that I'd left one of the greatest jobs in our business, which is a global creative director, to all of a sudden set something up that people were looking and going, oh, blessed." I wanted to be like, yeah. no, you know, this is the next. This is next level. It's not. This is not me running out of time or running out of job, and so I've just gone to set something up because. Like a lot of big directors, when they say, oh, you know, I'm going to go to university again. Like, really? Or can't you get a job? Come on. Yeah.
0: Well, it looks like it's been an absolute huge success so far. When you set about really starting the agency and thinking about how it was going to run with Gary, did you have a strategy of the kind of PR you wanted to do?
1: We always said we'd never specialise because we've been very honest with the people that work with us and say, don't think of this as your forever job think of this as a great stepping stone to your forever job or whatever you want to do. And I, I had some of my greatest leaps and experiences in moving agencies. And I don't think, you know, I think people are wrong when they say, oh, I want that person to be here for six years, seven years, eight years. If they want to stay, that's really fabulous. But we wanted people to have as much experience as possible to be able to walk into the business and be like, I'm a beauty PR and then leave the business going, actually, I'm a sports PR. And that's, you know, it is similar to the journey that you and I went on, which is we we were kind of moved around to different departments. And then I think we started to find our lane. And yeah. that, for me, was a really great lesson where you take someone and all of a sudden at the end of it, they're saying, actually, I think I'm a sports PR person. And you're like, that's cool. Go and do yeah. sports PR. I don't think we're ever going to be a sports agency. I don't really want to be. I just... What I want to be is an agency that is called upon. One of my biggest inspirations was Adam and Eve as a business because they, as an advertising agency, they came in and basically upended the other agencies by saying, we're going to take your current advertising and we're going to reinvent it and we're going to show you the benefit and you're going to have to take a risk on it. And that was very much our attitude was listen, we are small, we are nimble, we are quick. But you know, there is a lot of experience in this business. There's a lot of senior heads in this business. We want to do something different with you. And we want to try something brand new. And you're either up for it, or you're not. And I think what we found with a lot of big brands, was that they'd become like this lethargy of consumer cons all looking like exactly the same thing. So you would go to another agency because they'd attracted you with a pitch. But then you'd end up in the same rut of like, here's your Valentine's Day story. Or, you know, we're going to do a Mother's Day activation. I can't tell you the amount of times as a creative that I heard someone say something about when the clocks go back. And someone would say, how about we actually give people time back? And I'd be stood there (laughs) thinking in my head, I'd be like, unless you are going to pull a TARDIS out of your backpack that is just not real life so we just can't do that sort of stuff so it just the agency that i want us to be that i hope we're trying to be is the one that says all right now for something really different you know some of the clients that we have we do different things with every now and again and we still can deliver that kind of safe ongoing comms you know which being present is important But I think we're also the people that if you set as a challenge, we can come back to you and say, all right, you're going to have a dinner with Carol and it's going to be Christmas and it's going to be dinner Christmas carols. Because I just don't think you'd get that shit anywhere else, if I'm honest. Can we make sure this happens? I need to experience this. (laughs) I'm inviting Carol for Christmas Day, no matter what happens. (laughs) Dina Carol. I'm tweeting her.
0: i'm imagining the kind of people that are working at talker taylor can i shorten it to talker taylor is that okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah please so i I'm imagine the people that you've got working there are pretty exciting young prs that's what's in my head right now just based on the facts of the campaigns you're working on and um and the pictures that we see in in pr week etc who are the people that you're attracting down to the business and was it difficult to start hiring right at the beginning as well
1: Um, It was difficult at the beginning because you are inherently asking someone to take a chance, which isn't easy for someone who's got to pay their bills or pay their mortgage or pay their rent. If you're saying to someone, come on, take a chance, the amount of times we had to say to people in those first kind of six months, listen, we've got investment. There's money in the bank. You're not going to go broke. You know, just to get people to say, all right, I'll give it a go because we didn't have any case studies. We didn't have an office. We had nothing really for people to grab onto other than an idea, which was, we're going to try and tear things up and we're going to try and do things differently. And by the way, if someone's invested in us, you might want to think about investing in us too. So we became a bit of a home for the people that felt like they were disillusioned with the other agencies. So there were a lot of comments that we got from people around how they were treated. So a lot of stuff around if you are young black and in the industry all of a sudden you'd be included in every brainstorm that's to do with urban music and it just felt like you know that thing that just happened with the the woman who won the best football player in the world and they asked her to twerk it just it all felt a little like that and we became I think a home for people that were like I want to try something different I want to try something new the the only hiring policy I've ever had is I think it's important to be able to look around the room and see someone else that looks like you. So yeah. for me, Gary and I, both being gay men, can share stuff that other people aren't necessarily going to get in the same way that if you've got two people that every Sunday spend majority of it in church, they need someone to be able to talk to about that because not everyone can share the we went to a bottomless brunch on Saturday kind of lifestyle. You know, so you have to be reflective of the people in the world. And you know, we work with a company, a charity, sorry, called the Taylor Bennett Foundation which is about getting essentially non-white people into our industry cuz it's still very tough. And one of the best compliments I had was when one of their interns came to us and said, "This is the most diverse agency I've been to." And I was like, "Whilst that is a compliment, that is just how the world should be. Because if we if we went downstairs to the bar below our office, that is what the world looks like. I feel like the energy in our business comes from the fact that I still consider myself a creative person, but I'm also married with a dog in a house that I've bought. I've got my mum's 70th birthday this Saturday. Do you know what I mean like I'm not going to be the person to tell anyone." about what is at the cultural tipping point anymore. And I don't want to be, but I need to make sure that the people around me are. And that isn't by hiring the people who all look the same, who all got the same degrees, et cetera, et cetera. It just didn't work. So a couple of things that we did practically, we don't accept any CVs. We only accept uh, a hundred word statement about what you think you can add to the business. We do a lot of intern programs and a lot of our intern programs are just about attracting young cool talent we've tried to make our business as welcoming as possible considering you know whilst we are comparable on pay what we're not is we're not paying people huge amounts of money compared to like a massive big finance agency or something like that so everyone gets their own laptop to take home do what they want with everyone with the entire business closes on a Wednesday so everyone works from home on a Wednesday everyone gets breakfast and lunch we've just tried to be as appealing to as possible to make sure that finance or living in London isn't a barrier to doing a job you want to
0: do it's absolutely amazing to hear some of this and i've sitting here trying to let you speak and without me sort of jumping in and but i'm nodding my head (laughs) really hard it feels so good to hear because we're both not from privileged backgrounds but have been very passionate about the work that we do and um But yeah, just hearing about all of that sort of diversity and how you're looking after people, all of the staff benefits as well that you're talking about there—that's not out there in the well. Not I've seen out there in a PR press, but I I quite like that because you're not using it for PR's sake. You're out there because of the great work that you're
1: doing, but actually, really looking after people as well. So you'd have to ask those people. I think those people would be like, "Yeah, but I fucking work like a bitch," you know. So I think the thing is we haven't used it for pr purposes outside of like we put it in our award entries because i also don't necessarily want to advertise to clients that we're not around i mean the thing is if a client says they want a meeting on a wednesday then we'll go to a meeting on a wednesday but we just try and now maneuver things around so they don't so that we can spend wednesdays wednesdays to be honest is a big selling day for us because one of the things i've definitely noticed is that because the generation that's coming into our office are so mobile phone consumed, they don't necessarily have the confidence of speaking on the phone in public and want to have private conversations. So that allows people who aren't that confident on the phone, because you and I remember, there were definitely occasions in you and I will remember, we'd turn around and be like, yeah, 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 all my calls are done. All my calls are done. And I'd just be writing on my list, like no answer no answer, left message, quite interested, you know, because there was nothing worse than having to make that. What is an awkward phone call? Because it's basically a sales call. You're basically calling up and saying, excuse me, would you like windows? But you're just replacing the windows with a product. With a survey. (laughs) Exactly. You're basically replacing a window with an atomic kitten. So they are not easy calls to make. And you either decide you're going down a real sales mentality where everyone gets into a room and they all put on a headset And they're like, bang, bang, bang. Or you just say, listen, you be you and go and have that conversation wherever you want to have it. One of the things I found so interesting, I mean, like the people that work with me are like my teachers, because one of the things that I found really interesting is how people were trying to change their voice to sound like PR people. And I was like, I don't, what does that even mean? And we're like, well, you know, some people don't like the way that I say ask or they don't like certain inflections or, you know. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. These journalists get called every single day. The reason you are special is because you are you. Don't be anyone else. I think that kind of behavior, that selling mentality where everyone gets together and everyone has to sound the same and you would make a call and then someone next to you would be going, I don't mean to listen in, but I wonder whether you should change this and this and this and this. And you're like, do you know what? I wonder whether you should go fuck yourself actually. (laughs) Because this is hard enough without you sitting there doing that. So just freeing up that to go just be a bit more yourself seems to be working.
0: I mean, I've just been um, transported back 15 years and it's feeling pretty weird right now. (laughs) I remember people telling me exactly how I should be. Um, changing my whole Essex accent in uh, whilst I just put down the phone to an FT journalist.
1: It was awful. I remember calling my dad because I um, I couldn't get home for his birthday because I was stuck in work. And I kept, like, not because people were forcing me to work, but because I've always cared about doing a good job. And I was there because I wanted to do a good job. But I remember my dad on the phone saying to me, why are you talking to me like this? Because I called him up essentially like, you know, my mum, my mum's uh, Glaswegian. region, But when, when we first moved to London, we lived above a pub and she would have her telephone voice, a bit like a Hyacinth bouquet. And <laughs> she would turn into this like Edinburgh, obviously from a castle somewhere kind of Scottish, until she found out who it was. And then she went straight back to Glass region. That was PR for me.
0: So funny. Where are you guys at right now? How many people are working at Talker Taylor? And how many
1: clients have you got? What's, what's the current scenario? um so there are 16 of us well it really depends on the day there are 16 of us um there's sometimes we have freelancers in there is also a lot of virtual workers so my pa and gary's pa are both virtual so uh jess and hannah shout out they work virtually our finance team work virtually our hr team works virtually our entire reception so if you call our I'm not sure if I'm giving away any sort of secrecy. I I really don't care. Um, But if you call our reception number, it basically goes through to a centre in uh, Wales and then they put you through to us because we just don't have the money to be hiring people that are vanity hires. And I don't mean receptionists are vanity hires, but we just don't have that money to be throwing around yet. We are hiring PR people. So there are probably, Hmm. I would say, 22 people but that is also including kind of our virtual workers. We also work with a guy called Ian, who's our head of media. And he, he kind of comes in and out. He's, he's kind of on his own schedule. But, you know, he is a father of two ex-major news journalists. I don't see what gives me any right to tell him when, and, when he should and when he shouldn't be in the office unless there's a meeting that I need him at. Do you know what I mean? It's like I've always said to, like, I would never, ever want to see in my life an email that says, I'm sorry I'm running late. I just I honestly I've got no time so like it, like it just yeah, because we sent so many of those oh <laughs> my god so many and also I remember having like that full like panic kind of half walk half mince, like from the station like oh my god oh my god oh my god I just don't want that panic to exist so if you're late then you're going to have to catch yourself up outside of the meeting it's you and your workload you have to start from a position of the people who are here because they want to do a good job, because they want to be successful. I don't believe anyone goes into a job and says, do you know what, I really want to be shit at this job. I just don't think that's the case in PR. I think people get there because they're like, I like PR. I want to do PR. I want to be great at it. And so then you just have to say, cool, I'm going to trust you with your own career and your own career choices to be the best person you can be. And if that means you're early every single day, then you're probably going to get promoted, you know, because that's just the way it happens um so yeah there's about 22 people and then client wise we've got i'm gonna say 10 which is a mix of kind of projects and retainer but mostly retainer work
0: in terms of the just going back to the people that are working in the agency are most of your projects sort of traditional media relations or are you looking at social are you doing any paid like what's the kind of makeup of the campaigns that you're working on
1: It really differs. Like, so Direct Line, um, which is a UK brand, which is an insurance brand, we've just sold them a YouTube grime artist partnership, which is like the weirdest thing ever. But so they they basically came to us and said, Direct Line doesn't mean anything to young people. And there was this young grime artist. By the way, I'm saying all this secondhand and I've been given this information like a script. I'm waiting for you to tell us who the artist is. Uh, so the artist is still T Boo soy. Um <laughs> but there was a there was a grime artist that did a song called Addison Lee, which was obviously all about Addison Lee. Yeah. There's a real mix of like YouTube stuff. It's all very content-based. So and by content I mean like either we create a stunt or we create a partnership or we create a YouTube clip or we create blah. We don't do social. It's interesting, like I've had quite a few clients say, Could you look after our social? it needs to get to a certain point where i think that the money is going to be worth it from the clients to be able to do it i'll be honest like i see like social media teams working from like 7 in the morning till 8 at night and i'm just not sure i want that vibe in the office like
0: i know where you're coming from and also just to say you you don't do social i mean the campaigns that i've seen come out of your agency have been very social in terms of how well known they are and how the talkability around it. But yeah, totally know where you're coming from in terms of managing a a social feed. It's an interesting thing in our industry to see whether, because obviously PR is communications, but then there is a whole sort of customer relations department that, sometimes is rarely connected to PR, even though that's questionable whether that should be happening, but but they are trained in looking after customers. So it's whether it's sort of a talking at or, yeah, where that sits. I think it's interesting. I,
1: I basically think that Twitter is either a comedy platform or a customer service platform. I think most people use Twitter for two things, either to say, make a joke or say like, oh, my God, she's so funny, or here's a really funny clip, or to say, excuse me, ASOS, but my delivery isn't here. Thank you very much. And here's my code. If you can do beautiful photography, and that's always going to be part of our brief, then I think it's a nice social thing. But I, you know, I still think that the fundamental of PR is about getting the right people talking about what you're doing. It's just that it moved slightly from newspapers, which I still consider to be really important, to social influencers and news channels online. Whilst we don't control the social content, what we do is we create content that is sociable, probably. Yeah. Oh, I, I like that line. That's going on the yeah,
0: new website. A new, is that your a new agency strategy, <laughs> exactly.
1: New website launches. Jam one. <laughs> What's the future? What's the plan from
0: now? With so much success behind you so far.
1: So we've always talked. Gary and I have always talked about uh, selling the business at one point. I'm the Mel B of openness. Wherever it's possible, I will never lie about a, a single thing. We would like to sell to an agency at some point who feels like they could use the energy and the creativity of us as a fire starter in their own business. So I don't want to sell to move on necessarily, but I would like to sell to have an even greater impact than we're having right now. So if we could be bought by a big global Marcoms, then I would like to be going into different markets and saying, this is the attitude. This is what we want to do. This is how you can make it happen. And this is how you can unlock revenue from it and unlock awards from it and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So the plan has always been that, but I think we're probably a good seven years off that, five to seven years off that maybe. The immediate plan is we need a new office because Mm -hmm. there are a lot of us and there's one toilet and that just does not work. But... (laughs) It has to be about the work. Like I have a genuine ambition to do something that changes the world. And I think PR has the power to do it. I think if you can get the trust of a client to be able to go in and then say, listen, you've seen us do these two or three things. We think you should do this next. And that could be a potential fundamental change to that business. I think that is really, really exciting. Outside of that, so Ned, who was our first employee, gorgeous Ned. He's now set up his own business. And I would love to see that. I'd love to see like Kim in our office, who we just recently made our creative director. She wants to be a big hitting creative. That would be wicked. So I'd like to see, I'd really like to see the people that are in our business go on to do like wicked, amazing things. You know, like in Harry Potter, where he collects those, not Harry, not Harry himself, but there's a professor who like collects all the different students and they all go on to do things. He's like, oh, you know, he always takes my owl if I write. That's the type of thing would be wicked. I haven't actually seen any Harry Potters. Are you uh, kidding me? (laughs) No. (laughs) You need to get out of the clubs, get off the roof of Sower House and treat yourself to some Harry Potter over Christmas.
0: Okay, over Christmas. I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. I absolutely love that as a as a business strategy though, sort of seeing how you can build people and then watching them flourish. Also the the sale goal is quite interesting. Again, not many people would be talking about that right now. I love that honesty, but also imagining Talker Taylor in a toolkit box that you cannot go off and sort of teach others. But also the fact that your your other aim is to gain one more toilet
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think the thing is you know I don't think anyone should ever be scared of or shy of their own ambition. I did not start this business to be a small startup like I started this business because I genuinely think we can help change our industry for the better and help mm. make it more attractive and and, and more appealing to people that haven't been in our industry before. I think that's really exciting. So, you know, I am open to offers, FYI people.
0: <laughs> before we close, just bring it back to what we were talking about right at the beginning of the interview, can we just go back to the point that... Your latest campaign has found three missing people, which is just incredible. I think that, you know, quite often I'm in my position with Coverage Book. I'm talking, and in the industry, I'm talking about measurement and metrics. And let's try this new metric. Shall we talk about unique? Shall we talk about reach? Let's not talk about AVE. Let's forget all of that. You found three missing people in the past few weeks.
1: To just be clear on that, that is also the the incredible hard work of like the police and Missing People UK. It's not just the posters on the delivery bikes. Like, I think we've helped to elevate the personal stories of these people again. But, you know, they've been found by the police and and this amazing charity.
0: Especially around this time of year. That is absolutely heartwarming. So uh, well done. You and Gary for setting up such uh, an amazing agency. Really looking forward to seeing where else you go with it. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is the PR Resolution Podcast. Keep in touch by following me on Twitter, at Stella Bales. For more reading on PR, head to blog.coveragebook.com. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode and make sure you subscribe to the series on iTunes now. See you there.